You're listening to the Hudson Valley Region Podcast, an official podcast of the New York City Church of Christ, teaching and worshiping God in the beautiful New York State counties of Orange and Rockland. Thank you, Steve, for all the kind words. Uh, I am, as Steve said, I am a uh, dad, I uh, and a husband, and a son. Um, uh, Kelly, my wife's over there, beautiful wife, Kelly, in the green. Um, my sons, I don't know where they are. Where did they go? One of them is in class. Oh, I thought the preteens were going to be in here. No. Okay. I have three boys. Uh, Tyler, who uh, is 13, Cameron, who's 11, and Mason, who is now 9. Is that correct? Yes. So, as Steve said, uh, I am a a coach, baseball coach, and uh, a teacher. So, you know, on Father's Day, a lot of times guys might get up here and show funny pictures of dads, right? That's always the cool thing to do. Well, I'm not going to do that. I'm a teacher. I'm going to give you the history of Father's Day. Oh, yeah. It is Regents Week this week, right? Finals week? But in all seriousness, I thought, you know what? I don't even know what the history is. I don't even know. And I'm assuming most of you don't know how it all started. And, you know, we're not going to get deep into it, but I thought I would just give you a little bit of what Wikipedia and the rest of uh, the Internet tells me what the uh, history of Father's Day is. And so let me, uh, let me click over here. Grace Clayton, okay? Um, the first observance, well, actually, no. Grace Clayton uh, was actually, this is in 1907. She was mourning the, the, the loss of her father. And then there was a tragedy as well in West Virginia in 1907. And I'm not pronouncing this right, but the Monaga mining disaster in nearby Monaga killed 360 men, 250 of them were fathers. And uh, leaving around a 1,000 fatherless children. So Clayton suggested to her pastor, Robert Thomas Webb, to honor all those fathers. And so that happened in 1907. And Father's Day really started from the pulpit. You know, they had a sermon about fathers that day. But the first observance of Father's Day really is July 5th, uh, 1908, in uh, Fairmont, West Virginia, at the Williams Memorial Methodist Episcopal Church South, uh, now known as Central United Methodist Church. And so that was the first official observance of Father's Day. 1908. And then there was this lady, Sonora Smart Dodd, okay, in 1910. She, uh, there had already been a Mother's Day celebration. She was like, why aren't we celebrating the fathers? Why aren't we honoring the fathers? And so uh, uh, on, in 1910, the first, uh, well, she had, in Spokane, Washington, there was a Father's Day celebration that was held at the YMCA, and um, it was a celebration um, of her father, who was a Civil War veteran. His name was William Jackson Smart. And I'll put up a picture of him here in a second. But his wife had died, and he had to raise six children all by himself 
for the majority of those children's lives. Well, they, they were still young. And she just remembered that, Snore Smart Dodd did, that, that my father had to be both the father and the mother. And he did everything. And so she thought, I want to I honor him. Not to mention he was a Civil War veteran as well. And so, yes, that's it right there. That's her. And then this is her, this is him right here, William Jackson Smart. So he's the father that was officially first honored uh, with this Father's Day. Okay? And then we kind of move on. That's a funny picture, right? That's dad licking, I think it's ketchup, off his kid's face from his hamburger. I mean, that's a committed dad to, the, to what he's eating. I don't know if you can see that. Yeah, that's, I think it's a burger, ketchup, mustard on his kid's face. Just lick it off. But uh, in, the 19th, in the 20th century, in the 1900s, there were several bills. This is where it became kind of uh, the government kind of took over. And there was, uh, there was a bill in 1913. It, this is when it was first introduced to Congress in 1913. And uh, it, it just, you'll see how slow our Congress is. Things take a long time to get through Congress. And in uh, 1966, we have to skip forward almost 50 years. Uh, Lyndon B. Johnson, LBJ, uh, issues the first presidential proclamation honoring fathers, designating the third Sunday in June as Father's Day. By the way, 1966 is the year I was born. Six years later, the day was made a permanent national holiday when President Richard Nixon signed it into law in 1972, okay? So there's your history of Father's Day, all right? That's how it all started, and that brings us today. I will mention this, though. In the, uh, after they had the first official Father's Day observance, the merchants jumped all over this. They saw this as another way to make money, and they were trying to stop that because they didn't want it to get commercialized. But... It's America, and this is what happens in America. Our job is to keep the commercialization out of uh, our honoring of our fathers, although it's okay to buy them nice gifts on Father's Day, but it doesn't, it doesn't need to become the central focus. We know that, but um, the retailers and, the, and the, the, the economy of America is always looking to try to make a buck off things, right? But um, So that's a little history of the Father's Day. So that wasn't too bad, right? You weren't like having bad flashbacks about high school, were you? <laughs> All right, so there's another funny picture of Father's Day. I'm hoping this one kind of sticks in your mind all day today and next week. Yeah, I can relate to something like that. Not, but uh, you think about the word father. I believe I just looked it up quickly. It, it's found in the New Testament 390 times in the uh, NIV version, 390 times. And as you know, in the New Testament, it's mostly referring to God. In the Old Testament, it refers to actual physical fathers. 
but in the New Testament, we know that Jesus was always pointing his followers toward God the Father. Always talking about God being a father and, and really trying to help us understand God as, as such. When you think about the definition of a father, uh, there's different ways you can look at it. Uh, there's obviously the, the definition of the creation of another human being, all right, fathering a child, right? Um, I think of this definition as well, the creation of an idea, a project, an organization, etc. Like James Naismith is the father of basketball. So we use that term to father something, to, to be the, the inventor, the creator of something. That's so very positive when you think of it that way. Uh, you think about older men teaching younger men and older women teaching younger women. And this church is really kind of based on that idea, really, that we are involved in each other's lives and the older men are supposed to be reaching out to and, and helping the younger men uh, to mature and to grow and to be great husbands and to gr- be great fathers. And the, the women are doing the same thing with the younger women. So that idea of being a father-like figure is really what discipleship and being a Christian is really all about. And then obviously, God, Father God, that when we think of Father and the definition of Father, we cannot escape this, as I said, 390 times in the New Testament, okay? God is our Father both by creation and adoption. Think about that, okay? Yes, he created everything and he created us. But he also is our father in a spiritual sense. When we decide, he wants us to, but when we decide to be connected to him in a spiritual way, not just a physical way, but a spiritual way, when we decide to be followers of Jesus, uh, we become his son in that sense, in a spiritual sense. Um, There's a scripture in Matthew 23, verse 9, if you want to turn there really quick. There it is right there. You don't have to turn, I guess. It's up here on the thing. Um, Matthew 23, verse 9. And I was thinking about this. I believe Steve mentioned it in a Bible talk uh, a few weeks ago when we were at Stack doing a Bible talk, and we were talking about the Pharisees. And the context of this is a reprimand of the Pharisees, for sure. But the Scripture strikes you pretty hard line he says do not call um, do not call uh, anyone on earth father for you have one father and he is in heaven do not call anyone on earth father because you have one father who is in heaven and obviously he wasn't talking Jesus was not mentioning or talking really about um you know, us calling each other or having the label father. He was, it's a reprimand of the Pharisees wanting to kind of have this title and have this label and lord it over people and make people kind of obey them and, and, uh, and have this I'm superior, you're inferior type of thing. And the Pharisees, and Jesus knew that, and he was trying to make a point here, okay? We have one father who is in heaven. And when we think about that, we need to honor that father. We need to obey that Father, from which and whom which all wisdom comes from. And I really think about it in this sense. 
do not replace, we cannot replace our relationship with God with another human being in that sense. We need to have great relationships. The young men need to have great relationships with the older men and, the, and, and so forth. But ultimately, God is our Father, and we need to not replace that and trust others and, 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 and rely on others to bring us close to God. We need to do that ourselves. We need to get close to God ourselves to trust and rely on God and not just solely on human beings. He is our Father and he is in heaven. And so I thought about that in, in that context. So uh, I, I, I don't have like a three-point sermon, so to speak, so I may jump around a little bit, but I was thinking about the word perspective, okay? And so this logo, I think it's going to pop up. There it is. Perspective. All right? Change comes through perspective. And how we change our perspective. Raise your hand if you've seen this logo. Of course, it's everywhere. It's on trucks. It's on the Internet. It's on commercials. It's on TV. It's everywhere, right? Um, okay. Raise your hand if you knew it had an arrow inside the logo. Raise them high. I just want... That's not a lot of people. Maybe 20%, maybe less than that, 10% did not know that FedEx had an arrow inside of it. And you've been looking at that logo now for how many years? I'm not going to tell you where it is. <laughs> Let me ask the people who just raised their hand, the people who said, yeah, I know it had an arrow inside the logo. How many of you figured it out on your own versus... Somebody else telling you. Someone had to tell me. I didn't figure it out on my own. So raise your hand if you figured it out on your own. That's the, these are the smart people right here, the geniuses, right? <laughs> your brain is operating on a different level. You have that visual thing going on. So that's what, three, four people in this room? That's amazing, right? There's an arrow inside that FedEx logo. And though we have not seen it, and day after day we look at it, day after day we see it splashed on the Internet or TV, on commercials. And so my point on perspective, there are hidden arrows everywhere in society and in our life. There are arrows all around that we're not seeing. You have to see the arrows in yourself. You have to see the arrows in others. You have to see the hidden arrows in other situations. It's about changing your perspective. And I really believe in America today, we have the wrong perspective of God the Father. And there needs to be a change in the perspective of how we look at God and how we view him as a father. You know, uh, Steve mentioned the Stack Bible Talk and uh, really, you know, the idea really came from Kelly. All good ideas come <laughs> from from Kelly. Now, I had mentioned it. I had talked about it a little bit, but Kelly was like, well, why don't we just do the Bible talk over there? And I had talked about some other things, and we had, we had done some, some community service. We had helped with this league called Touching Bases, which is an adult baseball league for adults with disabilities. 
And we did that every Saturday for 10 weeks. The guys on the baseball team did in the fall. And we'd done some other things with Hope, uh, Hope Academy and so forth and, and other things. And, so, and actually the college won the award six years in a row for the highest number of community service hours of any athletic program in our Division II conference. And the baseball team was a big part of it. And so, but I was thinking, change your perspective, Scott. What else can we do at Stack? And you might be thinking, well, of course, man, have a Bible talk. But I don't know, you know, scared, worried about what people would think of me, worried about maybe losing my job. Maybe the athletic director will come up to me and say, you're the baseball coach, not the Bible talk leader. You can't do that. Worried about parents saying, I I sent my son to Stack for you to teach him baseball and coach him in baseball, not teach him the Bible. You know, that stuff is going around. But eventually you say, it's not right. Change your perspective. I am first and foremost a follower of Jesus. And... God is my father. The athletic director is not my father. The president of the college is not to, you know, tell me what to do. I need to follow God. And I know there we need to be wise in those things, and I understand all that. But at the same time, it was right in front of me. That arrow I did not see for many, many years. And so when I spoke to Kelly... And uh, we talked about it. I said, all right, let's just do a Bible talk there. And then I talked to the athletic director and said, we're going to do it on Thursday nights. And I gave him a whole proposal and everything. And so we just started doing it. But then uh, to have Steve and Lee come every Thursday night and have Steve do the Bible talk was amazing. I I didn't want to do it. I I mean, because I just felt like it was just kind of weird for me to do it because I'm their baseball coach. So I wanted Steve to do it, obviously. And it was just great listening to Steve do Bible talks. And then the couple times that he couldn't come, Phil came and did the Bible talk. So it was just fantastic having these guys involved. And I really appreciate them, you know, just saying, hey, we're going to wrap our arms around this idea that you have fathered, this new idea, and we're going to make this thing happen. And it's just great to see the church and how we help each other out. When someone has an idea like that, other people jump on board. And it wasn't only Steve and Lee and Phil, but it was Mike Santori there every single uh, Thursday night and also doing yoga with the players in the gym. So it was really cool. And um, we had Naomi, Sarah, uh, Kiana, and Ann show up as well almost every single Thursday and because we had some of the uh, the stack softball girls were showing up. So it was just really cool. And I have to admit, some of the baseball players were showing up because <laughs> of the girls, you know, the college guys, you know. But we, we had 14 people show up one night. It was, you know, 12 people the other night, 15 people another night. It was just fantastic. We began to study the Bible. Unfortunately, college ends and the summer begins, and so they all go away. So, uh, but we've planted a seed. Uh, a couple of them, uh, one, of the, one of the young men has uh, really started to get really deep into the Bible study, and I really believe he's going to become a Christian. And I'm really excited about that when, when school starts up in September. But my challenge for you is, what arrows are you not seeing? What can you do in your personal life, uh, at your job, in your neighborhood, with your family, whatever, that you can create something, that you can have a new idea that would honor God and, and put forth God's 
uh, work here while you're here on the earth. So I just wanted to share that with you. So there's another scripture, and uh, this is in Matthew 21, 28. So if you could turn there, Matthew 21, 28. just get here to it here so I don't have to look at it. All right, so this is the parable of the two sons. All right, so another reference to God being the Father. This is Jesus giving one of his many, many parables in the Bible. Um, it's twenty-one, twenty-eight, And so it goes like this. And Jesus, obviously, the great teacher, was always asking things in questions. So as a teacher, I can appreciate that. And he says, well, what do you think? There's a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Love that. But later he changed his mind and went. Perspective change? Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. And he answered, I will. Sir, notice how he calls him sir. I just thought that was interesting. I think I've kind of glossed over that the many times that I've read it. He called him sir. So there's a sign of respect. It's also he's verbally saying, yeah, I'm with you. I'm going to do this. But he did not go. And then the quiz comes to the, the folks gathered there. Which of the two did what his father Wanted, So Jesus puts out the quiz question there. Which of, which of them did what the father wanted? And they got it right. They passed the quiz. The first they answered. And Jesus didn't acknowledge that they got the answer right. He just went into his point, And a, a rather scathing point to say that, to say the least. Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Okay? So this is a great parable about these two sons and their relationship with their father. There's two sons, one father. So it's pointing to the fact that we all have one father. We all are coming physically from the same father. And if we're part and following Jesus, then we're all part of the spiritual family as well. But we're all coming from that same idea. And, that, and that's what Jesus is trying to say. Whether Gentiles, uh, Gentiles or Jews, we're all from the same father here. And he wants to make sure they understand that. But he also points out that God expects us and calls us to work. That's his expectation as a father. He's not going to do everything. Hasn't he done enough? He sent his son. He created the world. He sent his son to die for us and to give us this unique relationship and to save us from a sinful life and to prepare a place of eternity in heaven for us. He expects us to do things. He expects us to work in the vineyard, right? And the cool thing about it is that when we do God's work, 
it's not just profitable for him. It is profitable for us. We are the recipients of that. We gain so much benefit from it. I can't even begin to describe that and explain it. But we gain all the benefit from doing the work of God. Okay? But it's difficult sometimes. I understand that. Um, you know, some people, and I know that I'm in this, we get lazy. We say, oh, I, I don't want to... I don't want to do anything. I'm tired. I deserve to rest here. I'm I'm not going to do uh, anything. Other times we get caught up in other ventures. And as I said about the coaching, just caught up in coaching, caught up in winning baseball games. Really? Is that why I'm there? Just to win baseball games? Or am I there for a higher purpose? Okay. And so as we start thinking about that, challenge yourself. Don't be lazy. And don't just spend all your talents, time, and resources on other ventures, but rather on the work of God. The second son said better than he did. Said better than he did. He had the good talk. He even called his father sir. He promised better than he proved. The second son promised better than he proved. The first son, though, proved better than he promised. He's the one who said, I will not go. Okay? He was even rude, you could say. Disobedient. But the great thing about this, this shows us the character of God, this little parable. But I, but he changed his mind. God gives us that opportunity, that grace, that patience for us to change our mind. He gave me 13 years for me to change my mind at Stack. That's a long time. I've been, well, actually more than that, 15 years I've been a coach there. That's a long time. God is patient. God is gracious. God is waiting for us to do his work for him. And so, uh, and to get out there and to step out and to not let fear uh, or laziness or the pursuit of other things to get in the way. God is gracious. And I think that's what I see here when I look at this passage. So did the first son have a perspective change? I really think so. He, he saw his father's work with fresh eyes, with a new look, with a new perspective. Okay? And I think that really is something that we have to think about. Because we're here on a Sunday. We're the ones that would be like the second son. Okay? That say we're going to do this and say we're going to do that, but we don't. So we need to make sure that we're not being like that. Initially, many of us began to follow God and follow Jesus. But we must continue. We have to take control uh, uh, once again. But really, and I'm going to flip this here for a second, we need to let God take control of our lives once again. So, and I think about this next term, control. And I talk a lot about it in baseball. The batter in baseball, the only thing the batter really has control over is his swing. He swings, that's it. He has no control over the speed that the pitch is coming in, whether it curves, whether it's high, low, inside, outside. Once he hits it, he has no control over the uh, eight fielders out there, okay, including the catcher, the nine. He has no control what they do. You could hit it perfectly, but the center fielder runs in the, into the outfield, dives, and catches it, Right? He has no control over that. And I've seen so many baseball players get upset when they do everything right. They do everything right, but they're so mad because they didn't get, they weren't safe at first base. And I said, listen, 
You can't control the outfielders. You can't control any of that. You can't control the bounces that bounce right to the guy. Just worry about and focus in on what you can control. And so I think about the dimensions of control right here. Okay? So we focus on controlling what we cannot control many times, and that gets us into trouble. And I mentioned that with baseball, but in life we focus and spend so much time on trying to control what we cannot control. But if we go to the next level, we begin to focus on controlling what you can control. That's a good thing. That is a, that is a, a liberating thing. It's like I can't control my boss. I cannot control what someone else says to me or what someone else does to me. I cannot control whether that person says yes when I invite them to church. I cannot control my parents, however they may treat me, or even my kids at times. You know, we have so many things we can't control. So we'll do ourselves a service if we just focus on what we can control. But let's take it to the next dimension. How about us focusing on being controlled by God the Father? All right? That is the next dimension and the next level of control. And we live in a society that wants to take so much control of everything. And so allowing God to have control and continuing to have control is where what we are called to do on a, on a consistent daily basis. But taking it even further, we focus on allowing God's spirit to control us. And that's really where I wanted to go. Because I think about the son, the first son, He said, I won't. He was in control. But later he changed his mind. He decided to give control to his father and let the father control what he was going to do. The father wanted him to do this and do that, so he was going to do that. But I can't talk about control unless we talk about the Holy Spirit. And so I was reading a little bit of the book from Douglas Jacobi. And uh, it's called uh, The Spirit, and it's a whole entire book on the Holy Spirit. And there is a lot of misconceptions about the Holy Spirit, and there's Steve Kennard can do a workshop probably for uh, 30 days straight for a month on the Holy Spirit. It's uh, such an expansive topic. But I just wanted to mention one thing, and connecting it to being our perspective and connecting it to being controlled, and that is what the Spirit really is supposed to be doing in our lives. And so this is the Oxford English Dictionary definition. I got this from Douglas Jacobi. And uh, it says that it is the Spirit of God is the active essence of of the essential power of the deity. The active essence. I like that. Conceived as a creative, animating, and inspiring influence. All right? And I thought about that creative once again. We create things when we are controlled by God's Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. We create things for God. We do things, great things, you know, just in general, in our lives, in our work, and so forth, in our pursuits and our hobbies. And so I thought about that in Ephesians 5, verse 15, if you want to turn there, please. Ephesians 5, verse 15 through 20. The Holy Spirit, the essential essence, essential power of the deity conceived as a creative, animating, or inspiring influence. Let me turn there real quick. So Ephesians 5, verse 
15 talks about the Spirit and how it ought to be uh, come to be in our life. Okay? First of all, Paul's speaking to the church in Ephesus, and he says, be very careful then, because he just talked to them about how sinful the world really is and how many bad things there's going on in the world. And all you had to do was listen to the news this week, and you saw it right in our face every day for the last week in Orlando and other places, and we just keep going back, and there's a lot of bad things going on. He said, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And it goes on, he says, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Back up to the second part of verse 18. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And I think it's interesting that he mentioned wine and alcohol. Anybody knows, even kids know, when someone has been drinking a lot of alcohol. It comes across in the way they move. It comes in the cross in the way they act and what they say. Um, and even how they smell, if they've had a lot. You'll smell it, even the next morning. Because they filled up on that substance. And I don't think it's an accident that Paul mentions the wine. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. I think he's talking about, he wants them to think all filled up on wine. Okay? When you are filled with something, it does characterize you. It really does. When you're filled with the Spirit, you're actually filled with the Father, with God. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, with God's Spirit. When someone is filled with something, they are influenced or controlled by that. And so I think about that with the Spirit and back to the idea of being controlled. What are we controlled by? And if we're filled with God's Spirit, then we're controlled by that Spirit and controlled by God. Um, when God, when the Spirit is really taking control of our lives, it's taking a firmer, a deeper, a more life-changing control of our life. And here's the thing I think about. It's not this ultimate experience that we're trying to reach one day. Oh, I'm really filled with the Spirit today. That's not, I, I don't believe, I mean, we can have those times, of course, and those are great, those mountaintop experiences. But I believe that what God really wants is for us to be filled with the Spirit on a daily basis in the most mundane situations and in and, and situations with other people. We're always filled with the Spirit. I think that's what God is really calling us to do. So the challenge for us every day is to be filled with the Spirit in that way. The more we let God control, the more order and peace and success we have in our life. He is our Father. He wants the best for us. We need to let God take control and not wrest control from him. When we resist God's control, life goes out of control. And so you think about God being this father that loves us so much, cares for us, 
and that we need to have that perspective of him and we need to make sure that we're seeing God for what he is and situations for what they are and allowing God through his spirit to have great control over us. You know, I had a great father growing up. My physical father, my father's name is Kirk. He's uh, 73 or 74 now. Uh, He lives in North Carolina. And um, he's amazing. When I was playing baseball, he seemed to find a way to show up to every single game that I had, whether it was Little League, high school, college, and even professional baseball in Montana. He showed up there. There was this joke when I was at UNC Charlotte playing baseball that if you drive far enough, you'll run in to water or Mr. Muscat. He would be at every single game. He would just be there behind the backstop watching, and, and he liked to move around, too. He'd be in the left field line, the right field line. He'd be in center. Where is, where's Waldo? He's moving around. <laughs> you know, and I would, I would know, you know, you, you see him there. And, um, he, he, yeah, it is. And he wanted to be around his son. He wanted to enjoy watching his son participate in this sport. It was great. And the funniest thing, though, was when I was playing in Billings, Montana in 1989. Uh, and we were doing our pregame warm-ups. And that means we were running on the warning track on the outfield fence there. And we, we saw this man standing. This is in Montana. It's 2,000 miles away from North Carolina. We saw this man standing out there. Just looked ridiculous. <laughs> he, 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 had, he had this... Uh, he had this hat on, glasses, a Hawaiian shirt. Uh, he had the black socks pulled up. He had the whole get-up on, and we're just laughing. We're just running by laughing. Look at this dude. Who, what is this guy doing? Why is he on the field? Too, he's on the corner of the field. The fence was open. And I'm laughing. The guys are laughing and everything. And so we run to one side of the field, and then we start doing stretching. Well, this guy, that's not him, by the way. He, this guy starts walking towards us. And I, I happen to look up from the stretch, and I look at him, and I just get this weird feeling. I don't know what it is. It's just a weird feeling. Why is this guy walking over here? And as he starts to walk closer and closer, you start to kind of make out, wait, that, is that, that's my dad. Is that my dad? That's my dad. And then, you know, we hugged, and all the guys are just laughing. There's 25 players out there. They're all laughing. Hilarious. But he didn't tell me he was coming. He flew all the way out to Montana and walks out to the baseball field in this get-up. <laughs> but I have a lot of, lot of great memories from my physical father. And, and that's really what we need to have, you know, I know people have different situations with fathers and so forth. I understand that. But let's focus in on God as our father and having great memories with God. God is that father that wants to, will do anything, will come out and wants to see us and wants to watch us grow and participate and do new things in our life. It doesn't matter if you're 40, 50, 60, 70 years old. I'm 49. We need to continue to try to find fresh things to do, to honor God and to be controlled by God and to enjoy our relationship with God. Don't lose that 
that that uh, that freshness that we had when we were one, when we were first following God or first following Jesus. We need to we need to have that again. So that is what I want to encourage you today with, and go out and and have that renewed, fresh perspective of God the Father. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hudson Valley Region podcast. For more information about our ministry or to attend a church service, please visit our website at hvregion.com.